Well, hey, this is your old friend Bill. Whenever I find myself in Davis, I'm busy putting the fun in fundraising. But when I'm not, I always listen to KDVS 90.3 FM. And you should, too. Go Aggies! This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our second segment today, we're going to have an informative talk, I think, with a couple of local physicians. Dr. Barry Siegel and Dr. Andrew Nangalama will be joining me to talk about uh, the worldwide crisis of HIV-AIDS. Dr. Siegel uh, treats many patients in the Sacramento areas with Sutter Medical Group and uh, will we'll basically update us on how things stand in the battle between uh, man and virus. Dr. Nangalama hails from uh, Africa, from Uganda specifically, and he'll be talking to us briefly also about uh, a program he's got set up to aid uh, many of the orphans in his native Uganda who have lost parents and family members to HIV-AIDS. In segment three, we're going to try and catch up on science topics, do an all-science third segment. But um, starting out the show, let's, let's go to this date in history. It is July 21st today. On this date in 1904, 101 years ago, the Trans-Siberian Railway was finally completed. It took 13 years of effort to lay 4,607 miles of track. About uh, 14 years ago, a good friend of mine uh, and, and I were uh, lucky enough to have traveled on that railway from Beijing to Irkutsk in Siberia. And truthfully, uh, that pretty much, I think, satisfied my lifetime quota of train travel. Well, well, certainly Russian train travel anyway. And on this date in 1970, after 11 years, the Aswan High Dam across the Nile River in Egypt was completed. The dam ended the cycle of flood and drought in the Nile River region and exploited a, a tremendous source of renewable energy, but has had several negative environmental impacts. In fact, anyone who's ever studied the history of Egypt, the history of civilization, knows that, as Herodotus said, Egypt was the gift of the Nile, and that the Nile's annual floods provided fertilizer all along the banks, which was a very happy formula for successful agriculture for 5,000 straight years, which in 1970 they decided to correct with the Aswan High Dam. There is an old saying that if, it's, if it ain't broke, you shouldn't try to fix it. Well, in Egypt now, they've discovered that uh, the, Ni the Nile Delta has been disappearing since it's not getting flooded with silt like it used to every year. And uh, the fisheries in the Nile are going away. Schistosomiasis is rampant across the country as the snails, which uh, this parasite uh, uses as an intermediate host, have spread throughout the country. <laughs> you know, one of these days, they're going to have to take down that high dam at Aswan. Reminds me, driving around, I saw a bumper sticker uh, yesterday that said on it, build it, 
Damn it. John Doolittle and company are at it again. They are going to try and build that uh, that dam up on uh, up in Auburn on uh, what is it the Upper American bad another, another bad idea. We're going to try and bring on Tom Philp of the Sacramento Bee in a future program. His uh, I believe it's Pulitzer Prize winning essay on the subject of taking down Hetch Hetchy is something we need to talk to him about and and we're going to try and do that. Our uh, quote of the day and email of the day it comes from Jill, who sent us the following. The American Medical Association researchers have made a remarkable discovery. It seems that some patients needing blood transfusions may benefit from receiving chicken blood rather than human blood. This uh, does tend to have a couple side effects, though. It tends to make the men cocky and make the women lay better. And speaking... <laughs> Speaking of that, we have a couple of quotes from uh, Roger's email from a long time ago. One from Steve Martin. You know that look women get when they want sex? Uh, me neither. Which is balanced off rather nicely by Lynn Lavner's comment. With, there are a number of mechanical devices which increase sexual arousal in women. Chief among these is the Mercedes-Benz 380SL convertible. Let's do a few quotes and stats. Here's one I like. Speaking to German troops in August of 1914, Kaiser Wilhelm said, you will be home before the leaves have fallen from the trees. Which I think uh, can be offset by Dick Cheney's remarks to British officials in mid-2002. Once we have victory in Baghdad, all the critics will look like fools. I'm meaning to talk about uh, my visit to Minnesota a few few months back where I had a chance to listen to Fran Lebowitz, who, to be honest, put me to sleep. But she did have some funny moments, uh, one of which was that her lamentation that in this country we're actually debating evolution. Evolution. I'm going to need some help on that one. Maybe Dr. Andy can, can help me with Fran Lebowitz. I'm not sure what to make of Ms. Leibowitz, but I did think this set up a nice, uh, a nice quote from the legendary paleontologist Louis Agassiz, who once said, every scientific truth goes through three stages. First, people say it conflicts with the Bible. Next, they say it's been discovered before. Lastly, they say they always believed it. And uh, I think we have to mention on, on this show the ongoing scandal in Washington uh, over Mr. Carl Rove. It's been noted that... Uh, Perhaps Carl Rove has now become, quote, fair game, unquote. Ken Herman noted in the Cox News Service last Thursday that Bush was declining to defend Rove, citing this ongoing investigation. Of course, we quoted extensively from uh, Scott McClellan on that last week's program about this dodge. But, uh, you know, George Bush needs Carl Rove. Carl Rove is the mastermind who really... Did Bush pick Rove, or did Rove pick Bush? That's kind of been an ongoing question, because the two men certainly do need each other. But article from John Dean, it doesn't look good for Carl Rove. I mean, it does appear this story is finally catching fire. And uh, actually, at this point, it would be good to uh, perhaps quote 
from John Dean's appearance on Radio Parallax in April of last year, where we asked him about the Valerie Plame case. And you seem especially taken aback by the outing of Valerie Plame. Why? Well, it's one of the dirtiest tricks I've ever seen. Uh, and I've seen plenty of them from my days in the Nixon White House and just as an observer of presidential politics. This was life-threatening. Uh, it was a clear effort to try to discredit uh, Joe Wilson. Uh, and by doing it and turning on his wife, it, you get pretty low. And he not only was her life threatened, but those with whom she was dealing in her capacity or professional capacity as a covert operative put their life in danger. You know as soon as her name was surfaced, that every country in the world where she'd had any dealings uh, were running their computers looking to see who she dealt with, checking her phone logs and records and what have you. And we don't even know the consequences of what may have happened uh, at this point. Yes, I can't tell you. We, we are delighted that the mainstream media has caught up to our public affairs uh, lineup here on KDVS and is finally giving this the coverage it deserves. We're also going to try and um, to dig out some uh, some audio from the recording of Dr. Bob Arnott's uh, not exactly debate, but more discussion with Ambassador Joseph Wilson last October here at the Mondavi Center. Courtesy of uh, Mark Bosler, our news director, we were able to obtain a little uh, mini-disc recording of that. We're going to excerpt some of what he had to say about what happened to his wife. He spoke rather eloquently, rather subdued and diplomatically, I would add, uh, that night in Mondavi. Because, uh, you know, he can get um, very fired up over this. And, well, we'll let the Eclipse speak for themselves next week. Now, the truly interesting aspect out, out of this, one of the many, actually, I should say, truly interesting aspects about this Valerie Plame outing is that Judith Miller is in jail. And some people are openly speculating that some administrative sources got their information from reporters. And this might explain why it is Judith Miller is planning to wait out her time in jail rather than have anything to do with a grand jury. There's something funny about Judith Miller, who we've talked about um, at length in this program, and we'll, and we'll continue to do so as this story proceeds. George Bush said uh, last year that if there was a leaker in his administration, they would be fired. Well, we now know there was a leaker in the administration, and now what George Bush is saying is that well, well, we'll fire him if he's committed an actual crime, and we'll look very carefully at how the statute's written to decide whether it's on one side of the line that's a crime or on the other side of the line that's not a crime. What happened to, if we got a leaker, we're going to fire him? Which uh, brings up an email sent to us uh, from Lisa in the Bay Area, where she listens on the web, uh, asking about, uh, well, what, what would it take to get Carl Rove Fired. Quoting from uh, from Al Franken on uh, on the Al Franken show, uh, Al raised that question, and Lisa repeated it. And we at Radio Parallax don't have an answer. And it's kind of sad because uh, we finally see Carl Rove on the cover of Time Magazine, July twenty fifth. Rove on the spot as the Valerie Plame spy case heats up. Is Bush's right hand man going to pay a price? Good question. Yesterday's uh, Chronicle had a, a political cartoon that, uh, that, uh, that might answer that. It showed a bunch of little people shouting questions out at the president. Did Rove help expose a CIA agent? If he did, will you fire him? Isn't that what you said you would do? The next frame shows a giant gavel saying Supreme Court nomination coming down and flattening all the people shouting questions. 
And yes, as you've no doubt heard, Judge John Roberts is George Bush's nomination of the Supreme Court. And uh, I think uh, secondarily, his um, brilliant effort to push Karl Rove off of page one. You got to like this guy, B.A., Harvard University, J.D., Harvard Law School. You know, as we've said in this program before, is there any way this country can possibly go forward without using people from Harvard or Yale? That's an experiment I think this nation needs to commence real soon. I would, I would draw your attention to the yesterday's Chronicle. The cover has a picture of Judge John Roberts, looking as though he's just been sentenced to about 30 years in Leavenworth. I mean, the guy, the guy should be like in the dictionary under the picture. Uh, they should, in the definition of anxiety, you should have this guy's face. He is, of course, going to be the vote that's going to overturn Roe versus Wade, although um, apparently there's enough smoke around, uh, around the issue to where they might be able to slip him past the judicial nomination process. Roberts has said in the past that Roe versus Wade is the settled law of the land, which doesn't mean you can't unsettle the law of the land. But I do think he's going to fit right into the current administration's um, uh, grand scheme of government. His judicial philosophy has been described as follows. Uh, I don't feel that I bring a coherent, universal approach across the board, unquote. That's what we need, isn't it? A guy that promises us he won't bring any coherency. And uh, by the way, the projected federal budget deficit has decreased by nearly $100 billion this year thanks to an unexpected increase in tax payments. The White House announced this. It's been noted that uh, rising corporate profits up over 40% provided most of the extra money. The deficit is now expected to reach $333 billion for the fiscal year ending September 30th, down from last year's record shortfall of $412 billion, which is like saying, geez, this year I only borrowed $12,000 on my credit card that I'm not paying back. Last year I borrowed fourteen. dollars So it looks as though the finances are really coming under good control. We promised you uh, in the future another look at the issue of um, of reporters protecting their sources vis-a-vis the Mark Felt case, deep throat of Watergate. Uh, but um, we're going to have to blend into that mix when we get around to that in the weeks to come. The passing of L. Patrick Gray, the FBI director who was pretty much doing what Nixon wanted in the beginning of Watergate and was later left uh, rather famously, as described by John Ehrlichman, Nixon's aide to twist in the wind when he got into political trouble. L. Patrick Gray did live long enough to see the identity of Deep Throat revealed, and he commented that he was profoundly betrayed. Quote, I could not have been more shocked and more disappointed, Gray wrote, in a man whom I had trusted. This also sort of dovetails a bit with our talk with Brian Burrow on last week's show about J. Edgar Hoover. Because J. Edgar Hoover, who took over the what was to become the FBI during the Calvin Coolidge administration in 1924, finally passed away a month before the Watergate break-in, the second person to head the agency was L. Patrick Gray. He soon got wrapped up in Watergate and was out the door, and that's a story we're going to return to when we do a historical review in the not-too-distant future. Speaking of, uh, of operatives questionable operatives out there in, in, in the media world. Uh, we have um, Gary Chu, our special media correspondent, to thank for a fascinating 
little email he sent uh, from Susan Estrich, writing in Los Angeles, titling it, A Liberal's Defense of Fox News. Now, who's Susan Estrich? Well, you may well remember the Michael Dukakis presidential campaign back in 1988, where running against the rather undistinguished nincompoop Vice President of the United States, George Herbert Walker Bush, Michael Dukakis, a rather colorless personality himself, admittedly, started out in July of that year with a 20-point electoral lead over Bush 41. Uh, And, of course, Bush became Bush 41 because that electoral lead evaporated. His campaign manager was uh, Susan Estridge, which caused persons such as myself to openly speculate on this show a couple years back that I just wondered whether, you know, whose side Susan Estridge was really on. And uh, my suspicions are further aroused by this article when she says things like the following. Prior to working for Fox, I worked for ABC and NBC and spent a lot of time at CNN and almost ended up at CBS. I worked for a bunch of local stations in L.A. and a talk show at KABC for six years. In other words, I'm fortunate enough to have been around. And Fox News is the best place I've ever worked. Let me read on. I also worked there because of my respect for Roger Ailes, the man who created it and hired me. The man who created it and hired me. When, when, when did he hire you, Susan? And to whom I'm extremely loyal for reasons that have nothing to do with ideology and everything to do with integrity. By, by way of reminder, if you read that classic American political book, The Selling of the President, 1968, you will get your first introduction to Roger Ailes, who was at that time massaging the media for Richard Milhouse Nixon and doing quite a good job of it. He was later the uh, media consultant for George Herbert Walker Bush. In fact, while Susan Estrich was putting Michael Dukakis inside a tank with an oversized helmet for a good photo op, Roger Ailes was focusing in on how to make something of a debater out of the elder Bush. Now, I really have to thank Gary Chu for, the, for this, uh, this article, and, and, what, and, and best of all, what was attached to it, uh, some comments from a blogger, apparently, DC Media Girl, responding to what Susan Estridge had to say, and I think I'm going to quote from her blog. So, y- you're buddies with Roger Ailes? Excuse me, but isn't he the same Roger Ailes who played a part in sinking the campaign of your candidate, Michael Dukakis, in 1988? by resorting to crude race-baiting and demagoguery. The blogger goes on to, uh, to take a look at some of uh, Susan Estridge's other liberal bona fides, such as telling the Philadelphia Inquirer that the Clintons need to shut up, <laughs> slamming Air America, slamming Howard Dean, slamming Al Gore, sucking up to Newt Gingrich, Trumpeting your friendship with the fair and balanced Sean Hannity and Ann Coulter. Defending Matt Drudge. Defending Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think it's a very legitimate question to ask. At what point did Susan Estridge really get hired by Roger Ailes? I'd lay money on it taking place back in the 1980s, folks. 
And speaking of defending Arnold Schwarzenegger, this upcoming election promises to be, uh, well, a fiasco. Um, this special election is very unpopular. There's all sorts of strange things being tacked onto it. The idea of tackling gerrymandering is completely legitimate. We're very curious to see how the governor's going to make out on this because, you know, looking at uh, The Week magazine, May 6th, shows an actual, an actual California voting district that it's called the Ribbon of Shame. And if you don't have to make a district's compact or contiguous or sensible in any way, you can start out with one, this district, which starts out far north of San Luis Obispo and hugs the coastline. It goes, twists and turns, passes Santa Barbara, and winds up in Oxnard. If you live in Los Angeles County, you might be represented by any of 19 different congressmen. We'll return to that topic. Let's see. Let's do a few miscellaneous items and get out here. If you haven't had a chance to see this marvelous little movie called Mad Hot Ballroom, which is playing uh, in, in Sacramento and other locations, I would recommend very much that you do so. Very cute movie, the kind of things they should be turning out of Hollywood more often. It's actually a documentary about fifth graders, 11-year-olds learning ballroom dancing. doesn't necessarily sound very appealing, but it's, it's all in how you do it. Very engaging film. About 15 minutes too long, but, uh, but really, I'd, I'd say that's one to put on your short list. And apparently a 20-year-old political mystery was uh, solved uh, last week when Admiral Pierre Lacoste, who was head of France's intelligence service 20 years ago, stated that, quote, I asked the president if he gave me permission to put the neutralization plan into action. He gave me his agreement, thereby implicating French President Francois Mitterrand in, well, what does that sound like? Permission to put the neutralization plan into action, perhaps uh, uh, covert acts being uh, undertaken against an al-Qaeda cell, uh, some effort to fight terrorists. No. Actually, what we're talking about is the sinking of the Greenpeace ship in New Zealand's harbor in Auckland 20 years ago. A man was killed in the bombing of the Rainbow Warrior in, in Auckland Harbor, and uh, it appears that uh, the, 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 the go-ahead to do this came from the very top in France. The, uh, the Rainbow Warrior was making a nuisance of itself to the French government by protesting nuclear tests that were then ongoing in, in French Polynesia. The French were blowing up atolls with, uh, with uh, hydrogen bombs out in the atmosphere or underwater, and uh, this, this was not a good idea. I believe at this point in time, no one, no one is testing atomic weapons in the atmosphere, and we're all better off for that. It's, it's un, very unfortunate that the Greenpeace doing the right thing uh, got someone killed by agents of French intelligence, no less. All right, let's get out. Let's uh, let's close with a couple of miscellaneous statistical things that uh, let's see. I guess I guess these are kind of like the good, the bad, and the ugly. This has got to be a good item. For the first time in history, it's been reported more than half of the world's population, 52%, have running water in their homes. A joint report by the World Health Organization and UNICEF also found that 83% of all people either have clean water at home or can get it within a 30 minute walk. 
That's good. Uh, let's see. On the bad side, Kansas State, Penn State, and three dozen other large universities now give students academic points for playing sports. Football players, basketball players, and other athletes earn class credits toward graduation simply by showing up for practices and games. That's got to be bad. And, and this just has to be ugly. In the year 2003, 47% of American high school students earned A averages. In 1968, 17% did. I did not know that grade inflation was so out of control. That, that, that is just, that's ugly. All right, let's take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Stay tuned for our talk with a couple of, uh, of informative local physicians about uh, an important issue, HIV AIDS, to follow. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. 